Hey, this is Gerds Handel, and welcome to the Inner Light Project. This show is for anyone who's wanting to lead a happier, healthier, and enlightened life. Create more self-love, inject more joy and abundance into their daily life. Join me for inspiring interviews and spiritual topics so you can shine your inner light. Hello and welcome to the Inner Light Project. I'm so grateful to share such an amazing soul who, my gosh, has been through so much, but it just shows it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you you were raised, it doesn't matter what your social status is, you can achieve anything if you trust within yourself and you trust in the vision. Now this person, she is amazing at what she does and she has created a beauty company after living in a domestic violence shelter, which I think is just absolutely amazing. Brandy, I'm so grateful to have you on the show and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, bless you. I I just can't wait to share your story because you've been on such a powerful and healing journey, I would say. And I'd love for you to share to the listeners like what your life was like before you created EVO Beauty Group. Yeah, so I always find these questions so hard to connect with now because now you know nine years later which really in the grand scheme of things isn't that long but it also feels like a lifetime Mm -hmm. and to the point which my life is so drastically different and such a large juxtaposition of what my life was like pre-EVO that I almost don't connect with who Brandy was then like it it feels like a different whenever I'm explaining what I this story that I'm about to share in my experience and what life was like before it feels like I'm talking about a different person Mm -hmm. um that I just don't really have an emotional connection to anymore so um pre-EVO my life was I definitely was always a very ambitious young woman um i i left school grade eight was my last year of formal education um and then i left to actually figure skate full time i I, yeah (laughs) so i I ice dancer and i did pairs and so i left school um so that i could skate full time and skating was really my therapy and i think that's why i got quite good at it was because it was, I left all my emotions out there on the ice. I gave it my all, all the time. And in return, I got this sense of peace when I was out there. And so anytime I really have found myself in, I had somewhat of a colorful and um, some trauma in my childhood for sure. And definitely kind of a different childhood than most people that I meet now can relate to. I grew up um, on and off a farm. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) And a lot of our neighbors are Mennonites. Um, And then I, and then when I was 17, I moved to Vancouver, like on the other side of the country. And, um, yeah, and then I, I started building my career. I started working in as an assistant at a modeling agency. Wow. And then I found myself 
in a relationship that became incredibly unhealthy and abusive. And I found myself living in a safe house woman shelter at 21 years old. And that's where I started my brand. Wow. Wow. I just want to go back a little bit to the the part that you were saying about you were dancing. Um, I think a lot of that, and I, and I relate with what you're saying because I did gymnastics at a young age. I did from the age of six till about 14 and you're so right. There's something about sports and just being in something else. It kind of takes us away from the trauma of what we've, we've gone through. It's like an escapism, would you say? Absolutely. And the reason why I mentioned that as well is because that's the same, that's the same path that I went on in creating EVO as well. So then when I found myself in, in a traumatic situation and traumatic circumstances, I threw myself into something much more positive, like building a brand. And similar to how I found these coping mechanisms as a child. And for me at that time was figure skating and maybe for you it was gymnastics. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely, there's definitely something about sports and, but there's also, I think there's just something about stimulation. Um, When you're going through these challenging circumstances, distraction by stimulation of a positive thing can Mm -hmm. be, I mean, it's positive till it isn't. Um, It's sometimes, (laughs) Sometimes it can go a little bit too far. Um, I certainly have struggled with like an addiction to my work um, and really maybe using it as an escapism at times in an unhealthy magnitude. (laughs) But but it's a coping mechanism nonetheless. And and it got me to where I am now. Yeah, no, I totally understand because that was me. I was so I used to be a journalist. And so I was obsessed. I was a workaholic. Um, and then I started my inner work when I 2012, uh, I walked away from everything and started again. Um, and then I fell into the traffic again into my business of working really hard. And it was not until my body like shut down where I realized, like, OK, it's time to slow down, Gerds. It's time to listen. And through slowing down, taught me the wisdom of how I could actually create the business the way I wanted. And I learned to create a balance. But in Mm -hmm. years of patterns that I didn't know that I'd grown up in a family that was obsessed with working. So I picked up those patterns from a young age. So it was quite normal for me to be a workaholic. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely learned those patterns as well. And I also learned that, um, that your work was a lifestyle, not a job Mm. growing up, especially growing up as like a farmer's daughter as well. And like my, my dad loves what he does. He loves farming, (laughs) but farming is not a job. It is, it is a full born lifestyle, Mm. Um, often passed down from generation to generation to generation and passed down with certain expectations as well. And so, yeah, it. I always, from a young age, was taught that your job was so much more than just a job. Mm. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, so just going back to the bit where you know you were in an abusive relationship and then you were in a women's shelter. Like, what what happened? Was it just like overnight? You're like, I need to create something, or what, how did you get to that that point where you were like, I need to to shift what I'm going through? Yeah, I think for anyone who has, I mean, everybody's journey is different and Mm -hmm. the 
the statistics are startling as to how many people have gone through an abusive relationship as well. Um, I don't know what the statistics are in the UK, but here in Canada, um, it's one in every four women. Uh, women statistically do experience a lot more gender-based violence um, and domestic violence at a much higher rate than men. And yeah. so one in every four women have experienced domestic violence. And so everyone's experience is really different, but a commonality that I've seen and that I've heard from many other women that have shared their stories with me as well is that it it's a slow burn. It's not something really that overnight you're you're like, I need to make a change. Mm -hmm. um, you you know that you're unsafe for a long time. You but it's the roller coaster of a domestic violent relationship and the abuse that, you know, it can be horrible. It can be torture for a week. And then you have two weeks of the most incredible peace, loving, cherished relationship that is helping you grow as a person and then it can just turn on a dime and you don't know why and all of a sudden all of a sudden you are being punished for something that you don't even know what is happening so it's that roller coaster that makes it really difficult to really make those decisions to leave and then when you do make that decision to leave you recognize how dangerous it is to leave because of that unknown volatility that often comes with abuse mm -hmm. and so you don't know what the reaction is going to be to your action and there's often little logic because emotions are so high in these types of abusive relationships that it's not the type of relationship that you can sit down and, and talk it through yeah. because there is very little logic to it um and so and, and in, in my case in particular, in many other cases, there was also the challenge of addiction. Oh, wow. Um, and so there was a lot of substance abuse that was occurring as well. And there was a lot of, I think, trauma on the other side too. And and I think that my ex really needed, really needed some help. And I was not the person to be able to provide that or identify it or uh, be able to really you know give him what he needed in order to perhaps get grounded and 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 better choices um nor was that my responsibility i just want to also make that really yeah, clear I was about to say. <laughs> responsibility to you know ground their abuser by any means but yeah. um but the point i'm trying to get across is that it's not a logical relationship and um, or the choices that are being made in that relationship are not logical. The emotions are flying high. And so all that to answer your question, and it definitely isn't like an overnight thing. But I think for many people, for me, at least, it was kind of the straw on the camel's back where um, something occurred. And I thought, wow, I don't think I'm going to survive this. Um, and I started to just choose myself because I started to realize just how high the stakes were if I stayed. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting what you're saying because it's a lot of people think, you know, why do you not leave a relationship like that? But people don't understand it's not so simple. There is so much, it's so complex. And 
usually the person that's staying usually wants to try and save the other person but the key is nobody can save anybody the only people that we can save is ourselves and a lot of women get stuck in that cycle of like oh he's got potential but you know I can help I can save him but usually those are the people that need saving themselves absolutely and you're so right there's so much complexity to to the relationship as well because um to to any unhealthy relationship but also healthy relationship there's there's a lot of complexity as well um and i think that something that is asked too often and not discussed in a meaningful way is exactly that question is why did she stay Mm. and i've gotten that question so many times and it is it is just don't ask it it's not a good question But um, the truth is, is also statistically, it takes up to seven times. So um, usually a survivor like goes back to a relationship seven times before ultimately leaving successfully or losing their lives to domestic violence. And again, I don't know statistics in the UK, but in Canada, 20% of homicides, 20% are due to domestic violence. It it is quite similar in the UK and actually around the world, women are targeted more than men. Um, It's known. Um, And I just think the thing that people don't understand when people ask you that question, like, you know, why did you stay? What, you know, it's not about that. It's everyone has deep trauma and sometimes it can be linked to our family or certain situations in our past. And sometimes we have hope in something and we want to hold on to it. And I think a lot of people don't understand that because like, you know, how could you not see the blind spots, but in the beginning they, they behave perfectly. Right. And then it's this whole different image that you finally get to see the true colors. And I just wish people would understand that a little bit more. Yeah. And I actually, I love what you just said about, um, about past and that sometimes passed down by families and the hereditary patterns, because often as well, it's, it does come from a childhood experience or it comes from experiences growing up. I, I feel like a bit of a robot throwing out all these statistics, but it sharing these statistics just shows that this experience is so much bigger than my story. Um, but 70% of children who grow up in an abusive house either become an abuser or abused in their adult relationships because wow. it's, this normalization. Um, so similar to how you and I were just talking about our relationships with work. Um, yeah. You know, you were taught to work hard and I was taught that work was a lifestyle. And mm-hmm. now in our adult lives, you worked hard to a point in which, you know, you realize that your body was shutting down. And I've worked so hard to a point where I've experienced similar things. And those are hereditary patterns in which, you know, maybe our parents, maybe it was even passed down to them as well. And so often the way that we engage in relationships are what we have been taught either consciously or subconsciously throughout our upbringings. And so often people whom are abusing or are being abused have normalized these things. Often they don't even recognize their actions um, or they don't identify them with with just how severe they are or don't identify them with being bad at all because it's what they were taught a conflict in a relationship looks like and so 
that is, I think, a broader conversation as well about the hereditary patterns of domestic violence, because it often it doesn't just come out of nowhere. It is often a taught behavior or a learned behavior, rather. A hundred percent. And as well, like as kids, right, you think you're surroundings is how everybody else's surroundings are it's only till you like move away from home and you start to see how people act and behave that you start to realize actually mm, some of these patterns don't add up or oh, this is a bit toxic but it, it takes that courage to 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 walk away to actually see what is going on in your own family dynamics and seeing where you've picked up those patterns and behaviors totally and in fact i didn't even realize that my upbringing or that my trajectory or that building Evio was was unique um, until wow. until I doing press interviews and people were like, hold up, wait, you have nine siblings and your last formal year of education was grade eight? That is not normal. Wow. I thought it was totally normal um, until I started doing press interviews. And that on its own was something I had to do. I had to do a lot of therapy. <laughs> because I was like I was in my 20s then and I was like what do you mean this isn't normal um and I was experiencing such juxtapositions from the things that I had normalized um and and then even that carried forth into other areas of my career as well as I didn't recognize that a lot of the things that I was doing within EVO and within my business or the ways that I was choosing to interact with manufacturers or with vendors or with retailers or what have you, that it wasn't normal. I, I didn't know. Um, and that in some ways actually worked out in my favor because it meant that as an entrepreneur, I was doing things differently. And that is often a really good thing in business because it it creates this um it's, it's how you create a brand you know it's how you make people feel it's how you do things just slightly differently within you know building something new within a common space like beauty so it can work to your favor and also against you these um nativities to these hereditary patterns and these norms that we create for ourselves 100 percent. i just wanted to say though like nine siblings what <laughs> wow in this same age that's amazing wow <laughs> really yeah <laughs> I put in my mind <laughs> I guess like growing up on a farm um yeah. and having I do have like also a um like I have a a mixed family as well so I have um yeah like my my family is very broad and uh, my parents have been remarried and things like that as well so it the the family just kept growing in numbers <laughs> <laughs> I think it's beautiful because there's so like to have other people around and just yeah it's it's beautiful and you, you don't honestly you, that you do not hear in this day and age you, the highest you hear is probably three to five but that yeah yeah but that's amazing um so, you know, you started um, EVO um, and what was it that that fired that within you to be like, right, I need to create this? Was there something that was just like, there's no going back? What was it that? Yeah, that was definitely part of it was that there was no going back. Um, but I think, I mean, everything's like hindsight 2020 um, is that I can connect the dots now looking back, but in the moment, all I was doing was surviving and distracting myself from my current reality. 
And so I didn't sit down and say like, I'm going to start a business right now. It was just simply one foot in front of the other, creating this creative project. So I had actually originally started um, EVO, which at the time was called Karma Face Cosmetics while I was wow. in the shelter. Yeah, it was originally called Karma Face. Um, and while I was in the shelter, I taught myself how to mock up products on Photoshop. And then I Photoshopped a catalog of fake beauty products and then <laughs> catalog around to local boutiques, telling them that it would be a three month turnaround time to then get the products to their stores. Mm -hmm. um, and to my surprise, people actually purchased the product without ever having tried it because they were just really thirsty for a brand that stood for something, particularly in the beauty space. And, and at that time, the beauty space that was dominated by white men. And mm. so um, people really, really gravitated towards the values of the brand. At that time, I didn't even know what a brand was. I didn't know what I was making or doing. I simply just made a catalog and talked to people. That's what was happening in my head. But I think in business school, they would call that market research. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wow. So can you tell us about Evio Beauty Group? Yeah. So Evio is an impact-led clean beauty brand, and we focus on creating uh, inclusive, good-for-you products. We have multi-award-winning products that we co-create with cause-based um, communities. So for example, we have lip serums, which are our number one best-selling product. They recently won Fashion and Jadeline Magazine's Best wow. Lip Balm of the Year in Canada and Super Great's um, Best uh, Lip Mask of the Year. And we recently just launched in Shoppers Drug Mart, um, which is a really big deal here in Canada. Oh, um, I know about that place. Um, I actually worked in Canada. So yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly what I'm talking about then. Yeah, um, yeah so we are... Those um, lip serums, for example, our number one selling shade is called Did I Make Myself Clear? And that collection is focused on bringing awareness to domestic violence. Um, we also have another collection of velvet color sticks and that shade extension collaboration is with the Queer Collective um, and it's focused on gender fluid cosmetics and ensuring that we are not genderizing products um, and that beauty is for all humans so we we definitely have a focus on we we are the world's first impact-led clean beauty brand and we have a focus on co-creating with the community uh, because being somebody who's been on the other side of receiving some of these impact-led initiatives um, having lived at the shelter i recognize that as the person providing funds or the person providing the platform or awareness, it's not up to us to decide what impact is. It's it's up to those whom we are looking to serve, how they feel it, how they experience it. And it's up to them to, to uh, decide what impact looks like and how and what they need to receive to thrive. And so we really focus on co-creating with the community to ensure that that is what is occurring. And it's not just simply a donation. Wow. That's really powerful. I, I love that. And it, yeah, gosh, it is so different. I love it. Thank you. 
Thank you. Yeah. And we still do also put put our money where our mouth is. We have donated more than $500,000 worth of funds and products to over 27 organizations that help the underdog thrive across North America. And um, yeah, it's it's something that that obviously given where we started and the experiences that I've had in life and and those that I've been fortunate enough to meet on this journey as well. Um, it's something that truly, truly drives us. It's not just a, uh, you know, marketing initiative that a dollar from this product goes to this organization. It truly is the heartbeat of the brand. Wow. Wow. You're doing amazing work and I'm just so proud of you. Gosh. Wow. Thank you. It's it's really powerful. I, I yeah, honestly, I've, I've never heard anything like this before. It, it makes me want to go buy them right now. <laughs> oh, thank you. Bless <laughs> <laughs> you. And we are coming towards the end of the show. It's gone so quick already. Um, I've just got a few more questions there for you. Um, the first one is, what are your five top tips for someone who's currently living in a domestic abuse situation and they want to get out, but they don't really know where to start? Yeah, I mean, again, everybody's experience is going to be very, very different. And the most important thing is to make sure that you're safe and safety is going to look very, very different for each individual circumstance and person. So it's such a hard question to give a blanket answer to, but, and also you have to be, and this is so difficult to even say, even more, it's way more difficult to actually, um, exist within when you are leaving domestic violence is having the capacity to reach out for help mm-hmm. um, is is very difficult. I think that's one of the biggest burdens and challenges to navigate because um, finding the right help that is going to make you feel empowered and safe is very difficult. Navigating the domestic violence Um, support system and navigating the police system and the shelter system is very difficult, even when you are the best version of yourself and you have all the capacity in the world. So when you are in a situation where you are in a traumatic experience, you are not well, you have probably been going through this traumatic experience for months, years, maybe even decades it is very difficult to navigate the system. So I think the best advice that I can give is to try if you are fortunate enough to have somebody who is a trusted ally to help you navigate the system. And then um, please, please definitely reach out to that person and put a safety plan in place and make sure that you have Um, you know, code words in place because communication can be very difficult when you're under the thumb of a domestic violent relationship and make sure that you are putting those safety protocols in place with somebody that you trust. Beautiful. Thank you. And what shines your inner light? What shines my inner light? Yeah. Um, That's a great question. (laughs) Um, I would say I I think, you know, love and that pursuit for inner peace and personal growth. I am now in a really amazing relationship in my life. I actually just got married this year. Um, Congratulations. 
Thank you so much. And we have work really, really hard at our communication and, and to ensure that we're supporting and giving, giving each other what each individual needs to grow and prosper individually. And through that journey, I think I have discovered new inner lights. Um, hmm. I really love similar to what you said about like creating balance in life. I don't think I really created that balance in life until I had somebody that I felt safe with in my life. Um, and so through this journey with, with my partner, I think that I have discovered, you know, new, I'm still discovering new things that that brighten that light inside of me, like trying new things. Like I love traveling and experiencing new cultures. Um, and that definitely shines a light and always, you know, re reinvigorates myself. Um, so I that before and, and just trying new experiences. Um, I, I love new experiences and getting out of my comfort zone. Oh, I love that. And what are you most grateful for? Oh, another great question. <laughs> um, I am most grateful for. Oh, how do you? I don't know how to choose just one thing. Um, you can name them up. <laughs> in this moment, I'll have. I stopped by. I, I walk to work every morning and. Um, and it's kind of the, the moment in the day that I ground myself and the sun was shining today. I was super grateful for that. I stopped and got my favorite coffee. Um, and this morning I got the largest size that they had, which I don't usually do, but I'm grateful for that. Um, and then I am super grateful for the land that I'm sitting on right now and all that people had experienced before me to be able to get to sit here. And I'm super grateful for all of the women before me that have, you know, fought hard and passed the torch for me to be able to have the rights and experiences that I do today. And I'm super grateful for the EVO team that's, you know, <laughs> sitting in the office next to me, um, just a couple of feet away. Um, yeah, I'm just really grateful. And I'm really grateful that I woke up this morning, you know, next to my, my puppy, and my partner and um you know just woke up with a smile on my face I'm grateful for that oh but oh that's so beautiful oh <laughs> thank you so much Brandy for just being courageous to be yourself and walking away from a situation that didn't serve you and choosing you and creating something that is so beautiful and magic magical thank you so much for that thank you Wow, what an amazing episode with Brandy. Thank you, thank you for doing the work that you do. Like, it just shows the power of resilience. Unfortunately, that's the end of the show. Before I leave, I want to leave you with this quote. At any moment, you have the power to say this is not how the story is going to end. That's a quote by Christine Mason Miller. Take care, my sisters. Bye. For more information about the show or how to trust your inner light, visit my new coaching program at girdshundle.com. And remember, stay happy, stay healthy, stay lit. lit.